Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Watson here, freelance writer, player of games, writer of board, recorder of videos, and at tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition by my weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream crafting Icewind Down, which I build, write, and prepare for our next session of Rime of the Frost Maiden. You're playing characters of Alravin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed. This stream is not meant for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. Of course, there will be some spoilers. We stream our sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at RogueWatson and join our official Discord server. Invite link is in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use roll20.net, and for streaming, I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I have been putting off talking about this session for so long now because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going to have some extreme imposter syndrome uh, with this uh, as Chris put it, all the chickens coming home to roost, which is uh, various storylines and things trying to come together into one uh, hilariously overwrought epic moment uh, right outside of the Spire Gates, which I'm just reusing that um, Etheran Street map and kind of repurposing that as the Spire entrance. So we have essentially reached the end of our open world Etheran section of the campaign. I talked about this uh, last week, but it just kind of felt like the timing was right for uh, wrapping things up, and we've done 10 sessions in Etheran so far. I've explored a lot of the city. It was nice to have, honestly, way more content than I needed. I think Etheran is one of the best parts of this campaign. It's a shame that it's so um, not fit, doesn't really fit into the story at all. It's like they had different ideas for what this campaign is, and uh, I think the Etheran idea ultimately... Is I mean I I love the Lost City angle. I, we could do a whole DM roundtable on just like Lost Cities because it's Tomb and uh, Rhyme both have Lost Cities and done well, very well. And uh, Dragonlance, the Shadows Dragon Queen, I think also has a fun Lost City angle uh, to explore. Um, I think Etheran may be the most uh, the the most content complete. Although I also added uh, expanded Towers of Magic and did a lot of extra additions. So this is certainly the one that I've spent the longest uh, time on. And it's been enjoyable, but now we've reached basically the climax, which is going pretty far off book, or at least in terms of the book, it's just kind of in mentioning in these kind of vague paragraphs where it's like, good luck DM on how to deal with this. By the way, uh, hello to CG4279, Unversed, James, Sylvan, Nate, and Amorgau. Greetings, all of you. Glad you could make it live. Uh, so this is dealing with the Arcane Brotherhood, which is... The fact that Valen and Avarice are both here. I also, <laughs> to complicate things even further, added Baelish and Nass here. They're a much bigger part of my campaign. 
Um, Valen has been with the party the whole time, so she's kind of already an ally with them. And the biggest thing I mentioned before is I, I want to try to create a almost like a bottleneck in an open world video game where it's like, all right, you have to choose now, you know, which faction you want to align yourselves with because none of these arcane brotherhood are going to want to work with each other. They're all, they all don't trust each other. They all have beef with each other in history. Um, in fact, two of them, Avarice and Valin, went to Icewind Dale to follow up on what, uh, Ness Lantimere stole and did, which is all of this, essentially reignite Aetherin and the Mithalar and find all of this, and they've just been hunting down ever since. So it's almost like Valin, uh, Dazan was probably the least successful. He turned into a giant monster thing and got rescued but then died. Um, Valin managed to ally with the party and was pretty successful there. And Avarice managed to create her own faction uh, from a bunch of Shardalan users and uh, created kind of an army and had a run-in with the party briefly that allowed her to kind of leave with her with control of the army. They kind of actually helped her with a coup, which was pretty fun. And then we've got Valish and Nass, who are just two. They're the least um, populous faction here, but they're also very powerful. They're both pretty strong stat blocks. I think uh, Nass is a partial, like, Deathlock mastermind that I've concocted. And then Valish is an evoker wizard, and they also made a deal with the devil, the ice devil to be specific. So they've got that on their plate. So how do I even handle this situation? Because I don't know how much as a DM I can honestly prep for this, uh, other than just kind of knowing what each of these factions um, wants are, and what they will and won't do. And I have to be very leery about the fact that they literally have a face, face being the person of the party that does all your talking and charisma checks, that is so effective that he will be able to just about almost Jedi mind trick anybody to do whatever they want. And either some, some possibly through magic or just through skill checks or something. I would prefer, I don't want to, this doesn't necessarily have to be a fight. This is such a weird session to prepare for because this could be, and I, I need to zoom out so you, can, you can't really even see everything on one map unless I zoom out a little bit. I did want to create some space here. This could be a huge throwdown battle. This could be a big climactic fight, or it could be a tense social scene that doesn't have any fighting whatsoever. And I'm honestly open to all of the everything in between pretty much uh and i'm and i'm sure if the players are small are smart 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 <laughs> uh they will try to not be directly engaged especially if you have two enemy factions who are not aligned with each other aligned allied try to do that both at once then you could probably smartly try and play them against each other which i'm also open to have happening. So I, I really, th these are such nerve-wracking sessions to prepare for as a DM for me because it's the most like just blank pages in my script, right? It's like I don't just insert whatever the players decide here and try to roll with it. Now, if they want to try to rush inside, the the one bit of interesting complication is that it's not just a simple manner of running up and opening the door and running to the elevator and escaping, right? They have to perform the ritual. So we do need to go back over the ritual and make sure we've got that right because... Uh, and maybe that's something that they want to do like during... That would actually be pretty exciting 
if I were writing the novel, it would be this giant fight breaks out and like kind of similar to what we did with the Arboretum where like it had been to craft a wand and like a couple characters have to perform. They just spend their turn like performing the ritual to try to unlock the path while everybody else is like keeping them back and stuff like that would be the big epic um, um, action sequence that I would be writing if this were a story and not a tabletop RPG with other people writing it with me. <laughs> so the arcane pass through the force field that surrounds the spire one must perform the rite of the arcane octet on the spire's doorstep. To learn this ritual, the party must explore eight locations in the city and translate the inscriptions found therein. The eight steps of the ritual become clear, which they have all of these uh, steps now. The ritual des- was designed to test a visitor's magical aptitude, but can be performed without casting spells. For example, an adventurer could light a handful of lamp oil to summon a flame, taking one fire damage in the process. Jeez, setting your... Putting oil on your hand and lighting it on fire only deals one damage. Holy shit. These people in this universe are gods. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true that it doesn't kill you. So it wouldn't be like, a, you know, try to think of like the average commoner's hit points. Like that would be, yeah, maybe that's right. It just, they, they do, I mean, player characters do become gods very quickly though. Like hilariously overpowered compared to the rest of like the common working person. Any creature that performs all eight steps of the ritual in the correct order outside the spire can pass through the force field thereafter. So here's an interesting thing that we have to decide on. Because it sounds like, according to the book, each person has to perform this ritual in order to pass through. To me, that sounds completely tedious and a pain in the ass. I think. Unless it'd be fun to have every single person have to speak a secret about yourself. Compel another to share a secret with you. I don't know. That part would be kind of fun, but just all the other things, drawing a circle on the ground, using the ashes of a corpse, stand inside the circle and consume poison. I feel like maybe there should be a rule that like, once you know all this stuff, maybe the door stays open for like a minute or something that you could rush through. But then you still have to like fend people off from... So I'm tempted to uh, say that, that it unlocks the door whatever, magical doorway, creates like a doorway opening. Well, that's not what it says in the book. The, the book says that basically doing this kind of casts a spell on you that allows you to pass through the force field. So that would be a little bit of a change. But that's just to try to cut down on the tediousness of having every single player do this. I mean, also you would have to pass the wand around. Like they only have one wand. So I think the idea they've been thinking is they only have to do each of these steps once. So I think that's what I'm leaning towards. I think I think I'm gonna put that in my notes. That uh, forming the right of the arcane octad. Unlocks a door-shaped hole in the entrance for one minute. And then it closes and you have to redo it again if you're not in there. All these steps in the ritual in the correct order outside the spire. That's the force field thereafter. Alright, so I believe that's the route I'm going. James predicts there will be no fighting. Give him a guffin to hot potato among the groups. That's always fun. Um really don't 
And unfortunately, that's not... The thing is, they're all after the Mythalar, which is inside. So the goal of all these factions is to get inside and stake a claim to the Mythalar. And all probably, they all have different ideas of what they're going to do there. But now the players are beginning to learn through the Necromancer they just got into their party that, oh, if somebody were maybe powerful enough or inclined enough or, mag or had magical aptitude, which these are all wizards, uh, might be able to draw the energy of a Mythalar into themselves and thus become like a godlike being. Well, that would be a pretty dangerous thing to give to an unscrupulous person or any person, really. So it would be pretty dangerous for uh, these factions to make it inside. I And again, I'm willing to let them um, not have a fight here, but they will be, I mean, it would be very tricky. Uh, it would not be easy to make it through without a fight at all, or at least a lot of concessions and promises. I mean, the Ice Devil is there, ready to make a contract, <laughs> uh, should they need to, in terms of, you know, all right, you got. Now, here's the the other thing is I don't what I don't want to have is like they make a deal. It's like okay, why don't we all go in the thing together? Because that's just a giant pain in the ass for me as the DM and the players to suddenly have all of these NPCs like marching through this final area and then dealing with your Yarlathus together. Like it's that is definitely not what I want to do at all. So that would be something that uh, maybe at some point I would just pull the trigger on a battle before that happened and just like, all right, now we're going to do the fight here or something. I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem... Um, I, I, the two options that I would prefer is either A, we deal with this with some sort of combat escalation, or B, we delay the combat. Somehow the players using various spells or just smart diplomacy tactics will say, all right, well, none of us can get to the Mythalar yet. We'll go in and, you know, you guys all sit tight. We'll go in and and, and deal with this Irialarthus person if, if they're still there. And we'll unlock the way to the Mythalar. And then once the Mythalar is unlocked, then we can have a, a talk, a sit-down showdown. That I would allow to have happen because what the players are deciding is that, hey, instead of dealing with this now, we're going to hunt it and delay it later until... Uh, the Mythalar is exposed, in which case then I could just reuse all these plans, plant them in the Mythalar, and have an even more complex, insane final battle situation in which Oral then shows up as another faction entity, which would be absolutely batshit crazy. But I would be willing to hear them out on that also. One, more, one faction would be more inclined allies with the Arty. Yeah... I, in terms of their own allies and what their inner relationships are, I think the the wizards would all definitely distrust and, and want to be the first one to be in there. However, the players have a leg up where obviously they're the only ones with the full right. I would say the others only have partials. Let's say... Um, Valish and Nass only have the ones that they explored, and they thought, you know, maybe they have a deal with the with the player characters. And then Avarice has only just gotten here, and um, you know, she was hoping to talk to Valravin separately, but uh, you know, in terms of bringing him back on board, and although Valravin feels pretty much like, all right, you've been manipulating me and and stoking my ego this whole time, and maybe she's only got a few of the ones, so none of them have the players are the only ones with the full. Uh, right of the arcane octad so only they will be able to make it in which is a which is a nice bargaining ship that they have um although you could argue that like well these are all wizards they could you know threaten and cajole and and you know take that information from you 
uh, you know, use that speak with the dead spell or some bullshit reason. Like it's they have they have ways that they would just devolve into combat in order to get what they want. I would probably let that happen. Aaron Golem jumps off the top there, Michael. <laughs> the Shardlin Golem that I have teased forever. Yeah, that would be an interesting case of me of like the DM saying, "Okay, this scene is dragging too long." And you guys are not making any headway. Um, and I it just, I need to up the tension level. In which case, you start hearing the rumbling of the Shardle and Golem patrolling this way. And now it's like, all right, now you guys got to make a fucking decision. Um, you know, all of you have to decide what to do. And maybe the players can use that to their advantage. Where they're like, oh, well, this thing is a pushover or something. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> they've seen it in action. The two lovers and their devil from her try to surprise attack. Everyone even lay down a trap. I did have them show up already because I want them to, um, I do want to have the diplomacy scene first. This was not meant to be a, hey, everybody roll initiative and immediately go to town. Because as I established with Baelish and Nass, and I've established with Avarice, they're all willing to deal with the party. They are not mustache twirling villains. Uh, they are kind of evil aligned, kind of, they are. So they all have their own agendas and and selfishness that they want to do, but... Uh, they're not just going to necessarily ambush and attack the party. Now, once combat begins, and they, once they feel like this is the only solution we have is to battle, then we can get into the nitty-gritty tactics. I think Avarice's uh, faction would be the most straightforward. Her troops would just, you know, rush in. Um, she would cast spells from afar. I might need to boost her stat block slightly. Or where she's at. She's a CR7... Uh, 10th level spellcaster. She's got Bigby's hand could be fun from a distance. Uh, she's got plenty of fireballs. That's always fun. And then she can cast... Uh, in fact, I think she still has fly. Because she flew in from the sky. How long does that last? 10 minutes. So yeah, I can have her flying up there with her gargoyles. Like flanking her. And then she can cast, you know, fireballs from up there. Or I, I, She can't cast Bigby's hand. Because I think that's concentration. Which would be the same as fireball. But... Scorching Ray, Fireballs, all those would be perfectly fine. Oh yeah, she's got a Staff of Frost. That's pretty handy. Uh, Cone of Cold, Fog Cloud, Ice Storm, or Wall of Ice. You can cast all those spells. Uh, some of those probably do require concentration though, but... Uh, Ice Storm is instant. Okay, Ice Storm is a good one. That's a giant damaging instant one, so that'd be fun to do. She's certainly capable of doing some damage. I'll need to up uh, hit points and roll for hit points for these folks, though. Got four Shardlin Berserkers. All got hit points. And then we've got some Gargoyles, which for some reason have a lot more hit points than I thought they did. Well, I may give them more hit points than that, actually. reason their thing says they have an average yeah average of 52 let's let's just give well let's let's roll a little bit let's see 28 plus 21 give me some high numbers wow i am really average there we go that guy can have 60 and then avarice Needs more hit points, because I think named NPCs... I know if some folks do the, like, hey, just give them the max number. Um, that's actually not a bad idea. Jesus, that is a giant fly. Holy crap. It just buzzed around my light right now. I had my door open, because it was a nice light. 
My back door, like 70 degrees today. Now I have a fly friend. 13 times 8 is 104 plus 26, so we're max health. Ah, ah! Yeah, I was talking about you, asshole. <laughs> uh, is 130, so why don't we give her like 124 hit points? Seems pretty appropriate for a boss mage. Got 16 AC. I'm gonna give her 16 AC with mage armor, so let's just do that. Definitely come equipped with that. Ready for the battle. Never rolls. Gargoyle set up correctly. I don't think I showed them this map, so I can always add more enemies. But I think we're okay. I mean, these Shardland Berserkers, there's four of them. They each have an average 100 hit points, and they attack three times. But I do like having all these uh, flying in the air, and I may keep her flying in the air. And then have her just telepathically speak to Valrovin specifically. Swear to God, fly, if you dive bomb me again, I will scream. Not do it. Fucking do it. Alright, nice devil friend. 188 points is probably fine. Is that their average or is that what I gave him? Wow, that's average. Jeez Louise. I got rolled for that one. And then these two, I believe I just gave them each a load of hit points. Yeah. Baelish is an evoker wizard, which is huge, bunch of explosions. And then Nass, I don't know if I ever actually finished building her stat block. I think she was close to a Deathlock mastermind. Can you guys see this fly on this freaking camera? It is absolutely trolling me right now. Let's see. Now the Deathlock Mastermind somewhere. I think that's what I was going with. I love the chance of being able to reuse a lot of NPCs, including villains in this campaign. That has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I liked the Grave Bolt's ability I think I gave her. Called it Shadow Bolt. Stole that directly from them. Plus six to hit. Actually not that good. 48 necrotic damage. What is it? Deathlock Mastermind is normally a CR8. Boosted that. So I may have to boost her to hits. Because I think the last time I made this stat block, the players were like level 10 or something. I might need to actually boost her a bit more. Bolt Withering Touch. Then she can create Deathlock Whites. Out of bodies, she can possess people. Um, I guess she's still in the body of the Frost Druid, too. So that's kind of weird. I forgot about that. I think she was still in the... From uh, back at the end of... Um, a pencil. I understood that reference from the debate. <laughs> if, that's, if that's the Pence Fly, then you, you do what you want, Fly. You're alright by me. Got Arms of Hadar, Hunger of Hadar. She's just, she'd have a bunch of like dark, uh, messed up spells. Did give her mass suggestion because she needed that at one point. 
uh, at the end of the... My, my dogs are both freaking out, too. They want to catch this fly. They aren't even close to it. No. I'd get rid of it if I turn off my light, but then uh, you'll be able to see me. Because <laughs> it's fucking dark. Or having counter spells can be pretty freaking useful here. I'll probably give her some more spells and uh, up her attack to like plus nine or something. Like, and uh, maybe she can do two shadow bolts necrotic damage. Probably fine, because the ability is cool. The secondary effect, a DC 16 strength saver become restrained uh, while she attacks. Just as part of her attack, which is pretty damn cool. Basically, both of them just have really strong auto attacks. Like, they don't even have to cast spells. They can just auto attack. But, of course, they can also cast spells. <laughs> so, this could be a very, very challenging fight for me to run as a DM. If this does come into a big... Standoff battle with a bunch of different factions. In which case, you know, one thing I could do is just have uh, Avarice throw down with her forces and then Valish and Nass back off. And maybe they both go invisible to start of the battle and then the players have to deal with, you know, these two and me as the DM saying, okay, this will be easier. And then maybe once both factions are worn down, then you have the third faction pop in. Uh, and I've already said the Ice Devil can you know, teleport around or something. He's got DM magic powers. And then all three of them can appear and start fucking shit up. If that becomes a battle, which it very well may not. They, I, The one thing I will let the players do is defer dealing with them by basically saying, all right, everybody, hold your horses. Only we can make it inside. Um, let us go inside, deal with the situation. You know, you all, we, we can all see where the Mythalar is because it's kind of this, on the, on the map screen... The Mythalar, we can go back to that screen that we've looked at for so many months now. You can clearly see the Mythalar is visible from the bottom layer. It's not in the building. So it's just that you can't get through the force field. So, And what I've established is once you deal with Eriolarthus, that should unlock the way to the, myth, the Mythalar, which would basically deactivate the force field and allow all those other factions to make it inside. So if they wanted to, they could delay dealing with them until they actually make it inside the spire. So it's going to be a challenging as hell thing for me to prep because I don't even know what conversations I can try to prep other than, um, you know, having those little connections between the players and the various NPCs. And specifically, Valin will definitely be like, you need to, she will actually probably be pushing for them, to, for the players to just deal with them now. And then all the wizards can mention the fact that they're prohibited from directly attacking one another, but obviously they all brought like minions and things that can be targeted uh, and so as long as there's, you know, a wizard, and it could be that the different um, factions that turn hostile, they could just be like, well, we just need like one player character alive and, and subjugated, and then they can teach us what the you know, final lines are or something. So that they wouldn't be too concerned about that, because that's something that Valrovan would probably try to hang over their heads and be like, well, you, we, you need us so we can make it inside. It's like, well, yeah, we need like one of you alive so we can definitely threaten, you know, the rest of you for sure. It will be a chance to flex my improv muscles, and I'm very nervous about it, because that's a lot of uh, possible scenes that could happen. It's Nass and Baelish. 
Ice Devil, Avarice, and, and Nas, Baelish, and the Ice Devil all can speak and are all speaking roles. Avarice, at least it's just her that's speaking out of her entire faction, though she's got more forces. Also four. And then the party also has that, you know, they have Valin, and they have that random Necromancer guy, which I'm tempted to make the Necromancer just a non-combatant. Uh, you know, he just woke up from being dead for thousands of years and already said that he's kind of um, only really lucid even while Frey's near him. So to me, that was a way of also saying like, hey, well, you know, during um, non-combat scenes, he can give information and things, which are in combat, obviously she'll be running forward to deal with a threat, and then he'll kind of just stand there and be like, you know, almost bewildered or something about what's going on and not quite there, so I'm I'm okay with not adding him in there, because again, we've got a lot of characters on the field, and they've already got Valen with them for this whole time. Uh, and then, once they do the right, no matter how they do it, whether it's in the middle of a battle or whether they just go up and do it while everybody else observes them. Although that'll be a tricky thing too. Like how do they keep the others from walking in there while they're doing uh, the ritual? Because everybody else will pay attention to what they're doing and then they'd be able to redo it. Except they don't have their own nether wands yet. So they would have to go and get their own uh, nether wands unless the party somehow decides to give them a copy. Interesting. Into the spire we can prep for, which I actually will use uh, at least the beginnings of this map. 100 foot tall citadel. Creature that performs where the Arcanuct to make it inside. Ceilings are 30 feet high. Doors are made from an enchanted oak fitted with adamantine locks and hinges. Interior of the spire is brightly lit by continual flame spells cast in wall sconces, none of which are visible on this map. That's uh, very annoying. If I have, what I use to light up other rooms. Uh, so many maps. I think because all the towers had their own torch things on the map, uh, and then the wills, all the other stuff was outside. I guess it would have been the library map that I would have lit myself. All that ether, and there we go. Finite library. I use for or did oh I didn't yeah it had light on there I just slapped my okay crap well I'll just come up with some I can search for Scots. Delicious breakfast pastry. Close. Just once. There we go. Beautiful. Thank you, Gabriel Picard, as always. All right, we've got a wall sconce. So let there be light. Once I add light to it. And there's lights all over the place in here. It says the interior of the spire. The spire is the layer of the demolition of the layer actions of the demolition by supply throughout the spire that we all can use. Layer actions only while inside it. Ooh, does that elder brain which I want to use have 
Did I actually ever add that Elder Brain in here? That have layer actions? Not. Not using a Demulich. Why not use the biggest brain in the jar of all? Does have layer actions and regional effects. The brain cast Wall of Force. The elder brain targets one friendly creature against us with 120 feet of it. There's a flash of inspiration and gains advantage on one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. <laughs> it gives like inspiration to an ally. Anchors it by sheer force of will. Target must succeed on DC 18. Charisma saver be unable to leave its current space. Regional effects. Cruise within five miles of the rainfields are being followed. Overhearing tell about the conversation happening within five miles of it. So that's something I can definitely do. Is as soon as they enter the spire, make Uriel Arthas a classic like video game villain, where he's like talking over the loudspeakers. All these regional effects are just creepy. They're not actually mechanical. Do anything. Good old Mind Blast. Holy shit. I was really scared about those players against that one Brain in a Jar. That was a fun showing for that one creature, the one that got transformed with the Nothic. Stunned half the party. I managed to recharge its Mind Blast in the next round and stunned like half the party again. They had to use a lot of their stuff to get out of it. Expect the Brains. Those spells are not very helpful. Act thoughts, levitate, dominate monster, I guess is good. Plane shift. Resistance, magic resistance, so good luck casting spells on it. Otherwise, the whole thing it's got is basically tentacles and mind blast. Ooh, as a legendary action, it can just break concentration. That's pretty fun. Elder Brain breaks the creature's concentration on a spell, and the creature takes 1d4 psychic damage per level of the spell. Yikes. Establishes psychic links, and then just does damage to them. Okay. But only on incapacitated creatures. Incapacitated creature. Which, what does incapacitated mean? You've been... Knocked unconscious? Tentacles, you're grappled, and the Mind Blast, you're stunned. Maybe stunned. Oh, I bet stunned you're considered incapacitated then. I freaking hate the... Yeah, stunned you're incapacitated. Okay. <laughs> Too many conditions that all overlap with each other. So it can Mind Blast. Fortunately, those are all separate actions. It doesn't actually have multi-attack. It either uses one tentacle attack... Or does a Mind Blast, or does a Psychic Link, which it only does if it's already Mind Blasted somebody. I'm already looking ahead to this boss fight I'm planning. Which that's, you'll probably see me use multiple brains in a jars with Helmed Horrors as minions. Fun stuff there. Uh, but first, we've got uh, an opening combat encounter, I think. Most likely a combat encounter. 19A, the main entrance. Tunnel gives way to landing, offers to view the signals up most reaches. Light, light from a high window illuminates a set of steps to ascend to a pair of mahogany doors in the tower's face. Hypnos Mage and appears the overlooking window and uses its telepathy to politely instruct the intruders to leave the area. 
Okay, that seems dumb. I have a status effect that the mage and don't speak, but maybe I could have uh Arthur speak through the mage or something. I don't know. I could keep it there. Door. Ooh. You know what? We finally get a chance to use the roll 20 doors. Oh, yes. Restrict movement. Why is that not on already? Oh, they just turned daylight mode on in here. Yeah, that's fine. That's cheating. I see. Thinking like, hey, there's no lighting in here. They just turned daylight mode on. Which, I guess if the interior is fully lit, then... Yeah, levitate. <laughs> We've seen that in our Patreon games, haven't we? Uh, levitate can be very effective. A single target. Why is it sticking to a certain area? Nice door. Well, it's like only going on the lines, I guess. Okay, so you usually do that? Touch it a bit awkwardly, make sure you can't see. Okay. Uh, Chamber washes over you as you enter the ballroom and contrast the desolate frozen roads outside. A dozen people mill around in here dressed in flowing silk garments and holding colorful hand masks and feathered fans. Notable courtiers laugh and gossip as servants move among them offering sugar treats on silver platters. The music, people, food, decor, and warmth are illusions with which the characters can interact. The scene can be ended with a successful dispel magic spell, DC 19. If the spell is dispelled, the room's true contents are revealed. Jar. Yeah, a bunch of brains in a jar. Three netherese wizards choose to continue their revels into under undeath, each one becoming a brain in the jar. The three wizards have been driven mad by their undead existence. Are the brains considered undead? I didn't realize that. Son of a bitch, they are. Oh. Okay. Interesting. I guess they were created through necromantic magic. Characters interact freely with the illusory surroundings, the magic acts in their action line, they hold conversations with courtiers, join the dance room and sample the canapes. All the illusory figments know nothing of Etherin's fate and are interested only in revelry and gossip. Okay, you can learn in fact Aetherin or. I kind of want to force this as a fight. Um, and I would probably allow more than just a dispel magic. Basically, if they mess with the illusions too much, they'll see through them and then they'll upset the brains, which will attack them. Because I feel like, especially if we haven't done the fight outside, which I'm also uh, leaning towards it probably not ending up as a fight, then I think this is going to be a more interesting fight. We did already technically fight a brain in the jar, but that was one. And this will be a fun opportunity to be like, hey, now you got to fight three of them, and it's kind of a surprise, maybe even a surprise round, as the party is going to be distracted by... Uh, the magical illusions going on. Roll those? Okay. There's a lot of doors I need to replace. Any 
it's worth exploring this area. A lot of these might just be dead ends. I'm still not sure if we're going to do Veneranda or not. Door, 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 Why are you sticking? Fine. Where they can't peek out of it, hopefully. I don't know. There is the lines up there. I know that's gonna not work well. Awkward. There we go. If I drag the actual door. Shit, as soon as I grab that though, it changes. Carefully. There, something like that. Alright, council chambers, which are these three rooms. Each room contains a single table, a cabinet filled with, filled with ruined parchment scrolls, and a dresser containing writing materials. Everything is disarray and covered in ice. Research the normal chamber, discover an unfinished letter, details the acquisition of artifact, and back to the Empire of Astoria, which I'm not doing any of the spindle stuff. Yeah. So these are just empty rooms, I guess. They can rest in if they need to. Table, a cabinet, and a dresser. Need your simplest table, please. I guess a desk actually be the more proper thing to search for. We go. Oops, I'm on the dynamic lighting layer. Not there. There. That's a big damn desk. Realized. <laughs> Make that a little smaller. Ten foot long desk. Yeah. Oh, that's good, Sylvan. What do the brains and the doors have in common? They are both ajar. Waka waka. Cabinet. I'm just decorating. Yeah, it looks cabinety. It's huge. Seriously huge. Uh, here, here. All right, so you're all supposed to be. Yeah, they're offices. Okay. Guard passage Y nineteen D. Into the passage to the west. To the oh, down here. Narrow window overlooks the steps that lead to the main chamber entrance. Anyone has the passage is challenged by Hypnos Majin. The same one tried to show away intruders in area one. Former intruders, they are trespassing. Why would it do that though? Like, is like they made it through the right? I think instead of trying to shoo them away, it would be it would be like welcoming them because if anybody made it inside, 
It would basically be like, uh, you know, welcome to the Spire of Uriel Artha. You know, it'd be like a recorded message. Um, the Spire is currently under emergency lockdown, <laughs> you know, and, and go through a whole spiel like that. I think that'd be more entertaining because, I mean, this Hypnos Majin can't threaten the players at all. Uh, if ever there was a, a place to have a big mage in fight, it would be in this spire, though, for sure. I need to figure out if there's a good timing for it. Or I could always use those as servants, uh, minions in the Uriel Arthas fight as well. Because we didn't do the mage in battle in the Hall of Silk, which I thought was going to be a big mage in battle. Let's see, 19. Let's forcibly eject them. Yeah, good luck. Location chamber, which is an Aranda. Uh, I feel like this is basically what I did for the Tower of Necromancy, though. This is, I think, where the uh, Dan Khan got the inspiration for doing the Tower of Necromancy from this chamber. Transformation of a living creature into a brain in a jar. An Aranda, neutral, evil, and otherese wizard. Attracted her own brain to become a brain in a jar that is fixed to the body of a headless, helmed. <laughs> Headless Helmed Horror. Okay, is the ballroom. Veneranda is completely calculated and fully aware of Ethern's fate. She tells them... Or Ethern has passed glory, and she says we need to lost the staff of power in order to basically turn back time, which I don't want to do any of that. More of a quest-giving NPC. Very, very late in the game, too. Ah... Uh... I don't need somebody to do the ritual brain transfer thing because I already did that. Hmm. Otherwise, I could almost just turn off this whole room, just put a wall here. And have staff storage. Staff can serve as an arcane focus for spellcasters. Just a bunch of loot that's purely ornamental. Uh, I'll tell you the helm it's wearing is the brain in a jar. That is its helm, and it looks very cool. So cool that even though I'm probably not going to use this particular NPC, I'm absolutely going to be using... Although I shouldn't say Veneranda on it. Uh, I'm going to use this concept as a creature because it's really cool. Just pop the headless... Popped the head of the helmed horror off and put a brain in the jar on top. So you run it like two creatures on top of each other, which is really fun and a cool idea. And those creatures would mesh pretty well, I feel like. Elmdor is a pretty solid minion also. Good hit points, good armor class, multi-attack, magic resistance. And the Brain in the Jar has got that cool stunning attack. I guess you could just treat this as a... Hmm. We just have a battle here in this room. I don't know what else to do with this chamber. I need to decide because it's one of the first things I can get to. Yeah, Mysterio. <laughs> Fishbowl. Head. Yeah, we mentioned Krang last week. It, it's a really cool idea. I, I just don't... The problem is the whole ritual brain transfer thing, we did all that in the Tower of Necromancy. Like, we covered all of that. 
So I don't need to do all that here because we already established. Well, I mean, unless they have one here and the players were already like, oh, I know what this is. It's, you know, to do the brain transfer thing. Um, in terms of having an NPC that knows what's going on and can talk to the players. I don't know. I feel like I've done that to death too. I don't know. We'll we'll table this for Thursday. About Veneranda. Uh, otherwise, I would just close that room off. Kind of like the Caves of Hunger where I just turned off certain rooms and said, nope, there's nothing here. The Den. James picked up that same illusion that conceals the true nature of the ballroom. Burger's Lounge on luxurious cushions. Smoking from long pipes. Dining from fruit. Illusion is spelled. The music ends. The chamber is revealed to be an abandoned icy ruin. Chest and the table are the real objects that remain after the illusion is dispelled. Chest is an abracadabras, which is also in <laughs> the expanded towers of magic. So effectively, an empty room here. See, I had I had misgivings about even using the spire because I didn't know how much it was. It's not like a final. It's weird because it's not like a big dangerous final dungeon crawl. It's more like set dressing and immersion. That leads up to the final battle. At least this first room is. The second one does some interesting things, I guess. H is a bar. Very much like The Shining. It's like a luxury bar. Yeah, so everything here is just illusory, and it might be that the players dispel it or not. Almost, well, I'm having, I'm having second thoughts about even using this map because there's a lot uh, maybe the players would enjoy this though there there we go okay put the door down then you stretch these things you can move it with this i wish there was i don't know more for them to do it's, it's almost too much of just walking around looking at stuff which is Doubly so, I want to make sure this uh, middle area is a proper battle. I could have a bunch of just Majin in the room. I mean, it, I could make it a bigger battle. Just add some Majin in here, just kind of as generic guards. And then if the players fuck with the illusory magic too much, the brains would activate and go hostile, in which case they can call the guards turn as well. That would be an idea there. Gotta soften these players up before the boss fight. It's the opposite of a lot of RPGs where they let you fully heal before the boss fight. The indie works. Force Bridge. Seven foot tall, four foot wide window at the north area of area Y19B overlooks a 35 foot wide gap. Spire superstructure. Far side of the gap, a similar window opens into the chamber of sorcery. Between these windows stretches a magical, invisible, five foot wide plane of force that serves as a bridge. Visible bridge, which is safe to cross, is suppressed by the activation of the spindle in area Y19N. So it's currently not on. This is Invisible Bridge is is very much uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I always love that part. Okay, so this is hidden on the map. They don't see this little dashed line bit. All they see is a big gap into nothing. There's no notes about how far this goes down or anything. Seems like a, uh, 
Important piece of information, what if somebody falls? 35 foot wide, which is the length of this, I assume. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't mention anything about how far of a pit drop that is or what. It's cool, it's intimidating. Anytime you see a giant uh, pit like that, I don't know why this is blanked out. I think it's nice to see their side, actually. You can cross the pit. I mean, between the players, they all have ways of doing feats of traveling at this level that I don't think that's any cause for alarm, but at least, you know, pit invisible bridge things are always fun. I guess the funny thing is the first time somebody, you know, jumps or something, they the, the, it's still there. It's just invisible, right? Also, it says five foot wide plane of force. This, correct me if I'm wrong, but right now what the dashed lines represent a 10 foot wide. I don't think that's exactly correct. Looks like it's supposed to line up at the window, which means it's probably supposed to stretched a little bit narrower, more like, even though it doesn't work because the Yeah, I think it's supposed to be more like that. Although, you're, awkwardly, you're not going to be able to get on a, a square because of the way the map's drawn. It's annoying. So, yeah, it's safe to cross. This is suppressed by the activation of the spindle. I would just say it's a big joke. Like, it's an, I guess it's an Indiana Jones reference, right? So it's there. Because if it's suppressed by the spindle, that means you would never... I guess, well, or it's not there. Yeah, so then you're saying, well, it's it's not active right now until they actually finish this dungeon. The big old gap. So you could have nothing be there and just make the players go over it. A thousand foot drop, they're high enough level to survive. They probably are, isn't there a limit on fall damage in this game? Like, most of them could fall a height and not care. Getting back up might be a little trickier. Chamber of Sorcery in Y19J. Reflections dance over the mirrored surface of the chamber. Eleven alcoves extend the walls like the points of a star. Soon after the characters enter, this Aryan entity called Everlast makes its presence known. Everlast is a living spell bound to the spire. It can manifest in the image of any humanoid species or gender, but default to the form described below. Everlast speaks the same language as any creature that converses with it. He can't attack or be damaged and can't be dispelled. Okay. Arthas created Everlast to aid him and his apprentices and they're doomed to mission to restore Ethan from ruin. In the years since its creation, Everlast has seen Everlast has crumbled to dust and his apprentices transformed into Nothics. Nothing to do except uphold his standing orders. Nothics is the other thing I can have in here. Everlast has become hopelessly bored. The creatures in the first new phase he has seen for centuries immediately warn, warms to them. can manifest anywhere inside the spire and can move instantly between locations within it. Why are you just not telling me about this? Characters expressed interest in restoring Aetherin's former glory laments. Many powerful minds have tried. The characters mentioned Renner has planned to use or lost the staff of power and the obelisk. Be unwise that was a damage by the crash. Okay. Another NPC that explains everything. Crystals embedded in the niches are used to project Everlast's illusory form throughout the spire. Each crystal is a tiny object with AC 8 3 hit points immune to poison and psychic damage. 
There's a hatch mounted in the ceiling 30 feet above the floor. It can be spotted from the floor only with a successful DC 20 perception check. So you're telling me you're going to gate the final boss area with a successful DC 20 perception check? That's that's not good dungeon design. Knocking on the hatch causes it to swing open, really a 5-foot diamond vertical shaft that extends 50 feet area Y19K. Well, a lot about this entire first floor of the dungeon that I'm not thrilled with, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, other than the first chamber, which I like the idea of it being a bunch of illusory, you know, calm as if nothing had happened, and then uh, the party can kind of see through it and then have to fight these brains in a jar. That could work well. Everything else feels kind of either I've already done it or mostly useless empty rooms. Or this big NPC at the end who seems to know everything and he has not a lot of information about it. I will probably get rid of that and just maybe turn this into a bunch of lasers shooting the party or something. I don't know. <laughs> Underwhelming. This whole final area has been underwhelming. Might have to do a bit more work on this than I anticipated. I did like the Living Blades of Disaster guarding this room. I mean, living spells could definitely still be used here. Um, although I kind of established living the Living Spells were created by uh, the, like a, a chaos from the library. So I don't know if using them as guarding minions would be appropriate. Majin would be better, but they would be really underpowered. Uh, I could do the Helmed Horror Brain and Jar thing as guards, but they would be more sentient. I do like this final chamber that unlocks the path. I don't know. We, we can. It's not supposed to be that long. It's not meant to be a long, complicated thing. I think it's just going to be a little bit more work than anticipated to make the Spire section work. And who knows? Maybe we'll turn that whole first area into a battle uh, with the. Multiple factions. That'll we'll, we'll talk about that more on Friday session for sure. But I'm still very nervous about to see how that all goes into play. But I'm not going to necessarily be forcing uh, a battle at that point either. All right, that will do it for uh, today's crafting Icewind Dale. If you enjoyed the content, please do check out Patreon.com/RogueWatson. Shoutouts to Platinum patrons: Joe, Will, Thomas, Dan, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Coa, thirteen thirty-seven, Big Nut, John, John, Chris, Scott, Gene, Eric, uh, Socks, Dan, Tyler, Nathan, Camp, Crystal Lake, Counselor, Big Shep, and Andrew, and Gold, pa uh, Gold patrons: RPG, Paper Crafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lumpy Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fast, Sega, Tortoise, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all. Very much for your support. I will see you on Thursday. More crafting guys window.